leaders lead. That doesn't mean to say that they don't follow, but what they follow is different from what most people follow. They don't conform for the sake of conforming. They don't do what others do merely because others are doing it. They follow an inner voice, a call. They have a vision not of what is, but of what might be. They think outside the box. They march to a different tune. Never was this more dramatically signaled than in the first words of God to Abraham, the words that set Jewish history in motion. Leave your land, your birthplace, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. Why? Because people do conform. They adopt the standards and absorb the culture of the time and place in which they live. That's what the Torah means by talking about your land. At a deeper level, they're influenced by friends and neighbors, your birthplace. More deeply still, they're shaped by their parents and the family in which they grew up, your father's house. I want you, says God to Abraham, to be different. Not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of starting something new, a religion that won't worship power and the symbols of power, for that's what idols really were and are. I want you, said God, to, in his words, teach your children and your household afterward to follow the way of the Lord by doing what is just and right. To be a Jew is to be willing to challenge the prevailing consensus. When, as so often happens, nations slip into worshipping the old gods. They did so in Europe throughout the 19th and early 20th century. That was the age of nationalism, the pursuit of power in the name of the nation-state that led to two world wars and tens of millions of death. deaths. It's the age we're living in now as North Korea acquires and Iran pursues nuclear weapons so that they can impose their ambitions by force. It's what is happening today throughout much of the Middle East and Africa as nations descend into what, into violence and what Hobbes called the war of every man against every man. We make a mistake when we think of idols in terms of their physical appearance, statues, figurines, icons. In that sense, they belong to ancient times that we've long outgrown. Instead, the right way to think of idols is in terms of what they represent. They symbolize power. That is what Ra was for the Egyptians, Baal for the Canaanites, Chamosh for the Moabites, Zeus for the Greeks, and missiles and bombs for terrorists and rogue states today. Power allows us to rule over others without their consent. As the Greek historian Thucydides put it, the strong do what they wish and the weak suffer what they must. Judaism is a sustained critique of power. That is the conclusion I've reached after a lifetime of studying our sacred texts. It's about how a nation can be formed on the basis of shared commitment and collective responsibility. It's about how to construct a society that honors the human person as the image and likeness of God. It's about a vision never fully realized but never abandoned of a world based on justice and compassion in which, in Isaiah's words, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Abraham is without doubt the most influential person who ever lived. Today he is claimed as the spiritual ancestor of 2.4 billion Christians, 1.6 billion Muslims, 
and 13 million Jews, more than half the people alive today. Yet Abraham ruled no empire, commanded no great army, performed no miracles and proclaimed no prophecy. He is the supreme example in all of history of influence without power. Why? Because he was prepared to be different. As the sages say, he was called Ha'ivri, the Hebrew, because all the world was on one side, and he was on the other side. Leadership, as every leader knows, can be lonely. Yet you continue to do what you have to do because you know that the majority isn't always right and conventional wisdom isn't always wise. Dead fish go with the flow. Live fish swim against the current. So it is with conscience and courage. So it is with the children of Abraham. They are prepared to challenge the idols of the age. After the Holocaust, some social scientists were haunted by the question of why so many people were prepared, whether by active participation or silent consent, to go along with a regime that knew, they knew was committing one of the great crimes against humanity. One key experiment was conducted by Solomon Ash. He assembled a group of people asking them to perform a series of simple cognitive tasks. They were shown two cards, one with a line on it, the, others, the other with three lines of different lengths, and asked which was the same size as the line on the first. Unbeknown to the participants, all the others, unbeknown to one of the participants, all the others had been briefed by Ash to give the right answer for the first few cards and then the wrong one for most of the rest. On a significant number of occasions, the experimental subject gave an answer that he could see was wrong. Why? Because everyone else had done so. Such is the power of the pressure to conform that it can lead us to say what we know is untrue. More frightening still was the Stanford experiment carried out in the early 1970s by Philip Zimbardo. The participants were randomly assigned roles as guards or prisoners in a mock prison. Within days, the students cast as guards were behaving abusively, some of them subjecting the prisoners to psychological torture. The students cast as prisoners put up with this passively, even siding with the, at the guards against those who resisted. The experiment was called off after six days, during which time even Zimbardo found himself drawn into the artificial reality he had created. The pressure to conform to assigned roles is strong enough to lead people into doing what they know is wrong. That's why Abraham, at the start of his mission, was told to leave his land, his birthplace, and his father's house to free himself from the pressure to conform. Leaders must be prepared not to follow the consensus. One of the great writers on leadership, Warren Bennis, writes, By the time we reach puberty, the world has shaped us to a greater extent than we realize. Our family, friends, and society in general have told us, by word and example, how to be. But people begin to become leaders at that moment when they decide for themselves how to be. One reason why Jews have become out of all proportion to their numbers leaders in almost every sphere of human endeavor is precisely this willingness to be different. 
Throughout the centuries, Jews have been the most striking example of a group that refused to assimilate to the dominant culture or convert to the dominant faith. One other finding of Solomon Ash is worth noting. If just one other person was willing to support the individual who could see that the others were giving the wrong answer, it gave him the strength to stand out against the consensus. That is why, however small their numbers, Jews created communities. It's hard to lead alone, far less hard to lead in the company of others, even if you are a minority. Judaism is the counter voice in the conversation of humankind. As Jews, we don't follow the majority merely because it is the majority in age after age. Century after century, Jews were prepared to do what the poet Robert Frost immortalized. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. It's what makes a nation of leaders.